Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. The title of my message this morning is just very simple. It's if. That simple. If. And if you're wondering about that, it's one of the biggest words, the smallest but biggest word. It's a little big word, but also it's a very important word in the Bible. So first of all, before we get into it, let's hold our Bibles up to heaven and say, Thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise Him for His Word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for Your Holy Word that indeed is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If is a small word. It's a little big word in the Bible, but it's extremely important to all of us, even in God's Word. And you'll see that Jesus really emphasized it a lot. But why is it so important? Because it speaks directly to us about our responsibility to God is number one. Number two, it reveals to us certain conditions stipulations, requirements placed on us as far as the, having a fulfillment of a promise of God. As a matter of fact, when you were growing up, at least I know when I was growing up, my parents would say something like this, if you eat your vegetables, you can have dessert. You ever hear that one? Or if you do this, take out the garbage, whatever, you can go out and play. But what's the opposite side of that? If you don't, what? Well, you can't do it. So in other words, the if is there for a reason. To reveal to us a condition, a stipulation, a requirement on our part, if, is important to all of us. Well, when it comes to, let's just say, questions that we need answered, because if introduces to us a question that needs to be answered, well, if is important. If God is for us, then who can be against us? We can say something like this when it comes to those questions. If God is in control of everything that takes place on planet Earth, why is the world such a mess? Good question. Needs answered. If God's will is being done on Earth, then why did he say, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Earth as it is in heaven? If God's willing not one parish, but all are saved then why is it that not everyone is saved? If God is our healer, and as Psalms 103 says, if He heals all our diseases, why are believers sick? Good questions, right? Well, if, like so many think, God wants us to suffer sickness and disease for a reason, why do we go to a doctor? Or why do we take medication to try to get better? To walk out of the will of God for our lives. 
These are things we want to talk about briefly here today. But when it comes to, for example, conditions, requirements, and that sort of thing, stipulations, you know, there are conditional prophecies and unconditional prophecies. There are conditional promises and unconditional promises. There are conditional judgments and unconditional judgments revealed to us in Scripture. When it comes to an unconditional promise, for example, did God not tell Noah, I will never again destroy the earth by a flood? Didn't he say that? Yeah. Did, but he didn't say, if you are good, then I won't do that. It was an unconditional prophecy or, or promise spoken by God to Noah that affects all mankind. In other words, you have nothing to do with it to bring it to pass. Did not God not say that a woman will conceive and bring forth a son, a virgin? Shall conceive? Didn't he say that? Man has nothing to do with the fulfillment of that prophecy. It doesn't matter how long you pray, how hard you pray, whether you fast or whether you don't fast. If God said it by the prophet and it was unconditional, then it must come to pass. And did it not come to pass? That's an unconditional prophecy. But now if the prophecy included, if you do this, then that will happen. That's just different. It's conditional. So we want to kind of separate some of these things. So let's begin by doing this. In John 14, look at verses 21 through 24. We'll talk about for a moment our responsibility to God. Number one, if. Notice where the ifs are at. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loves me shall be loved my father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, if a man, if. Everybody say if. If a man love me, notice, he will, he will, he will keep my, what? Whoa. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And then he goes on to say that we will come to him and my father and I come to him and love him and so on. But notice where the if is at. If a man love me, Jesus always put the if on man's side, never on God's side, always on man's side. If a man love me, and we'll get to that in a little bit, he will keep my word. Notice the very first thing he says is my words. How important is this book? How important are these words of our Lord? If he says, if you really love me, you will keep my words. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, number one, we're going to read his word. We're going to read his word. Look at Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read his word because this text, these two verses of scripture impacted my life in a dynamic and powerful way. Way back when, when I first got saved, a New Testament was given to me. I was in a mill crane. I was 30 feet up in the air and it was, I have a long water chain that I send down and pull things up like water, a water bucket or something you know, to drink. Well, my friend Jose Feliciano, who I mentioned many times, put a New Testament, my first ever New Testament, I just got saved, he gave me the gift, he and his brother put it on the hook, and I pulled it up. And as I pulled it up into the crane cab, he said, I saw that crane cab light up as he was walking away. And that's the first time I ever found a New Testament, opened it up, began reading where? Matthew. It's the beginning of it. And I got to these verses right here, and these verses that I've read drop me to my knees. Listen, listen to them. Jesus went about Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. 
all manner. He healed them all. Verse 24. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him, this hit me, all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. When I read that, I heard so much about Jesus before because I was religious and went to a religious church. Never heard the Bible, never heard the gospel. When I read that, I just dropped on my knees with tears in my eyes. And I said, Jesus, you really care that much about people that you would heal their every disease and every sickness? How wonderful you are. It moved me. See, if I didn't read that, I would have never known the depth of that. But it impacted me in such a wonderful way, but a powerful way when I read that. Not only will we read, but we'll want to hear about me. See, if you love me, you'll read about me. If you love me, you will hear. But why are we emphasizing that? Look at John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 18. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. What miracle? Raised up Lazarus from the dead. They heard. See, they weren't reading about it, but they heard. You know what? Right here is a good place to hear. To hear about Jesus. Hear his word read, but also hear about his te the testimonies of the people that have been blessed by him. And so on. He heard. The woman with the issue of blood heard something. It changed her destiny forever. Did it not? And why? Because she heard. So in Psalm 122 and verse 1, we are told what? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Aren't you glad to come here this morning and you can be taught the Word of God, you can receive the Word of God, you can hear the Word of God being preached, but you can hear the testimonies of others as well that have been blessed by God, touched by God, as we honor Him here in this place. So you read about Him, you hear about Him, and thirdly, you worship Him. You worship Him. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, He is worthy to receive the worship that we have to give to Him, no matter who we are. We've been created by God for this very purpose, to worship Him, to honor Him. Not put ourselves first, but to put Him first in all of our lives. And when He had taken the book, this is in the book of Revelation, when all things are coming to a culmination, and there is John is before the throne of God, and this is what he hears. When He had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of orders, which are the prayers of saints, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and made us unto our God kings and priests in all the earth. Then he heard the voice of many angels, one thousand times thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, and go on and worship him. The redeemed are there, we are there, and we are so consciously aware of the fact that we're there because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What do we do? We bow down, we fall down, and we worship Him. So we want to read about Him, we want to hear about Him, and I'll tell you what, when you read about Him and you hear about Him, you'll be on your knees worshiping Him because of how good He is. As a matter of fact, we're here in church, you know, every church should be, in my opinion, dedicated to doing this. From the nursery right on through adulthood, getting people to fall in love with Jesus. Amen. Fall in love with Jesus. You see, that's where faith comes into operation. Faith works by love, and when you realize how much Jesus loves you, and how he laid down his life for you and gave his everything for you, you fall in love with him. And our little ones need to be taught that from the, 
very beginning. He loves you. And you should love him. Look in uh, Matthew 6 and verse 24. We'll also want to serve him. You won't need to hear a sermon. You'll want to serve him. When you fall in love with him, you'll want to serve him. Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one, love the other, or else hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and riches or mammon. We live our lives to serve him, to honor him in all that we think, say, and do. With all that we have, all that we have to give, we give to him because of who he is and because of what he's done for every single one of us. And then also, finally, these are just some things. Book of Psalms 100, you can see the same thing mentioned here. But so impacting is this word of God. Remember, if you love me, read my word, hear my word, worship me, serve me. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us. Say with me, God, you made me. Father, you made me. I belong to you. So serve him with gladness. We didn't make ourselves. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving to his courts of praise and be thankful to him and bless his name. So I want to serve you, bless you, honor you. And finally, this is the ultimate. I want to imitate you. For the Lord is good and his mercies are everlasting and his truth endures all generations. But look at the next one. And this is the high calling. If you love me, imitate me. Wow. Imitate me. There's a verse in 1 John 2, 6 that says, If you say you abide in him, that you ought to walk even as he walked. But in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, look at the verse. This is from the New Living Translation. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Imitate him. The King James says, and walk in love. So, we could be so distracted in the time in which we are living right now from all these blessed truths. Ask yourself the question. You know, we judge ourselves. Examine ourselves, our own hearts. Am I reading his word? Am I hearing about him from others? Am I worshiping him like I should? Am I serving him with my life? Am I imitating him in every area of my life? I'll tell you what, if we worked on that for a while, we'd be so busy, we wouldn't have any time for anything else. True? Okay, next. Conditions, requirements, and stipulations. How important this is. Because, you see, the if is connected to so many promises of God. And religion puts the if on God but Jesus always put the if on man. So we're going to pull this out. If. Look at Mark's chapter 4. Mark's gospel chapter 4 verse 23 through 25. If and hearing. If is connected to hearing. If any man have ears to hear. Let him hear. What does he mean by that? If you really have a desire to hear know and understand the things of God. Program yourself to. Let down the pride the air, and, and all that that would block that. And hear. Listen to what he has saying and what he has to say to us. So if you have ears to hear, then let him hear. So the if is on our part. Am I one who wants to hear? Do I get excited about hearing the things of God, the word of God? We need to be. Look at what it says. And he said unto them, take heed what you hear. In another place he says, take heed how you hear it. But take heed what you hear, because with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And, what, and unto you that hear shall more be given. 
For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken, even that which he has. What's he talking about? Our understanding of him, his operation, his kingdom, his spirit, his moving in our midst. If we really want to hear it, we really long to hear it, we can and we will hear it. But you see, if our ears are closed to it, then we're not going to get it. We're not going to get any more. I've got to be open to doing what God has told me to do, responding to what I hear, and I'm going to have an increase of the things that God has for me to hear, understand, and know. The second thing uh, we're talking about is if and its connection to obedience. If and obedience. Look, in the book of Exodus, and many places, this is all revealed to us. Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way, and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him, obey his voice, provoke him not. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if, there it is again. If, if what? If thou shalt, notice the connection is between man, it's, it, or it's on man. If thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So here we have the if and the then. But the if is on whose part? If you will do this, then I will do that. But you see, once again, religion turns that around. And what does it do? It puts the if on God. Well, if God really wants this for me. No. We'll get to that in a moment as well. But look at some other ones. Look in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. These scriptures we know very well. It shall come to pass, notice, if who? If you, if thou. If thou shalt hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do according to all that is written therein, that, that the commandments which I commanded this day, that he'll set us on high by the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Here we have obedience. Obedience. If and the fulfillment of a promise requires obedience. So we're listening to what he says. If you do this, then I will do that. If you eat your vegetables, then you can go out and play. If you don't, then you cannot. So once again, the if is not on God's part. If God really wants to heal me, I've heard so many times people say that. If God really wants to help me, if God really wants to provide for me, if God, the if God, if God, it's not if God, it's if you can believe you will see the glory of God. Did you notice the connection there? If you can what? Believe you will what? See the glory of God. Notice, if you want to see the glory of God, what does it require? What's the condition? What's the stipulation? Believe, believe, believe. So you'll believe, then you'll see the glory. If you don't believe, you won't see the glory. That's what he's talking about. Just like your vegetables. Okay. Uh, in, the, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou... Where's the connection between you and the promise, not God? If you will not hearken to the voice of the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I commanded this day, that all these curses shall come on thee. Notice, if you do, blessings come on you. If you don't, curses come on you. So where's the responsibility lie? On the individual. If you will believe, you will see the glory. If you don't believe, you won't see the glory. If you hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, you will be blessed. If you don't, curses will come upon you. So we see the connection with that word if. 
So important. Look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. If, and there it is, if you be two things, willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Notice once again where the Spirit of God places the if. It's connected to the individual. If you do, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. Exodus 15, 26, very important scripture because it involves the healing of our bodies, which, of course, thank God, we appreciate our health, don't we? He said, and there's that little big word again, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Where is the if? If, and how many times have I heard someone say, if God wants to heal me? That's not what it is. God wants to heal you. And we'll get further in a moment. If in the heart, look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. If and the heart of a person. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If, here it is, the stipulation, the condition, the requirement. If you seek him with all your what? Your heart and soul. What's he talking about? This is someone who is looking for gold. Remember the book of Proverbs chapter 1, the first few chapters, it talks about how you've got to want it like you want silver and gold. You've got to look for it like you want silver and gold. You've got to dig for it like you want silver and gold. In other words, you've got to put your whole heart into it. I really want to know you. I really want to see you. I really want to walk with you and experience you in my life. And I'm doing it with all my heart, no matter what it takes, what it means for me to give up this, to give up that, to do whatever. I'm looking to know you intimately and walk with you in a personal and powerful way. Look at 1 John chapter 3 with regard to if and the heart of a person. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart, for if our heart, for if our heart condemn us not, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. So if our heart condemn us, aren't you glad God's greater than your heart? But if your heart doesn't condemn you, you've got confidence toward God. Where's the if? On the believer. It's my heart. It's my heart condition and so on. Okay. Also, when it comes to believing God, it's so important to recognize the fact that if and faith are closely connected. Look at Matthew's Gospel in chapter 17, verse 20. This is probably one of the most important faith scriptures you'll ever read. It's so impacting, so powerful, so revealing. They couldn't cast out the devil and they want to know why. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if, if God, no. If 
you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove and nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. That's the message I brought here 41 years ago. Faith and love. Faith that works by love. And, and also a third thing is the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing will be impossible unto you if, if you have faith and say to your mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but believe what you're saying will come to pass. It'll happen and nothing will be impossible to you. Notice how the if is on the believer. Jesus used if many times, but when he did, he always put the if on the side of the person, never on the side of God. In these next verses, we're going to see this clearly. Mark 9, 23, 18 through 23, or 19. He answered and said, this is the guy that brought his suicidal son to Jesus, or his disciples first, and they couldn't heal him. And so he brought him to Jesus. And this is the dialogue. Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long does it go since this came unto him? And Jesus said to him, of a child, or the man said of a child. And oftentimes they cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if, but if, here it is. But if you, Jesus, can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Where did he put the if? On the Godward side, didn't he? If you can do something, if you want to heal me, if you. Okay, look at how Jesus corrected him. Verse 23, Jesus said unto him, If you. Wow. If you can believe, it's not me, it's not God, it's not what God can do, it's not God, what God's willing to do because he's already willing, he's already done it. So if you can believe, how many things are possible? All the, where's the if on the man word side? If you can believe all things are possible to him that believeth is what Jesus said. So here we are saying, God, if you want to heal me, you'll heal me. It's not if God. No, it's if I can believe. We're going to put up in just a moment Psalm 128 because many, many years ago, the mother of my older children, my three children, had a severe case of endometriosis and it was in, the doctor basically said, you're not going to have any more children. We had one, but four years, not another one. The endometriosis was so bad, he said, it's like he had never seen before, had extensive surgery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, no children. That was before I got saved. Just to show you how important reading the word, hearing the word really is to a believer. I basically developed my belief system on what the doctor said. You're not going to have any more children. But then I got saved. When I got saved, I met Jose Feliciano again. Notice how that name keeps coming up. Because when I first got saved, he was in Bible school. He was already well beyond wherever I was at. I just got saved. And he came into my crane cab. We worked together and our crane cabs came together. And when I was in the crane cab, he came over into mine because we're just watching the mill work and no problem. And I, he said to me, how many children do you have? And I said, one. Are you going to have any more? And I said, well, if God wanted me to have any more children, then 
my wife wouldn't have endometriosis so bad that she can't get pregnant. And it's been almost four years. So that's it. The doctor said it was just that bad. He said, oh, well, just then he got called and said, brother, I'm leaving, but read Psalm. I had my Bible with me in the crane cap. He said, read Psalm 128. Okay. I didn't even know. I was in the New Testament. I didn't even know what was in the Old Testament at that time. Let's pull up Psalm 128. Okay. I appreciated his spirit. I didn't realize just I was answering him without knowledge. I had a zeal for God, but no knowledge. Okay. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walks in his ways. And I'm just beaming from ear to ear. That's me. For you shall eat the labor of your hands, and happy shall you be, and it shall be well with you. I just got saved. It was well with my soul. Trust me. Next. Your wife shall be as a fruitful vine planted by, uh, by the sides of your house, and your children like olive plants round about your table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. And I, That's not me. I just said that. That's not me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How does faith come? If we love him, we'll read his word, hear his word, worship him. When I read that, that's not me. I believe the report of the doctor. I said, Lord, I've sinned against you by misrepresenting you. I got on my knees in a mill crane, filth. Forgive me, Lord, for misrepresenting you and telling people that you don't want me to have any more children. Long story, but we have adoption papers in. How about that? What about that mentality? God, you don't want me to have any more children, but I got adoption papers in to have... Never mind. It makes no sense whatsoever. But when I saw that, I was saying, if God wants us to have more children, then He would do something about that. You see where I put the if? And guess what? I changed that if and said, God, you want me to have more children. And if I believe, we will. I went home. It was all night. Worked the night shift. Went home in the morning and woke her up and just said, do you believe the Bible? And she said, yes. I said, here. Opened it up, showed it to her and said, look at what that says. We've been saying if God wanted us to have children, then he would do something about it. We've got adoption papers in. We're trying to override what we just said. God doesn't want us to have children. Do you believe this? And she said, absolutely. I said, okay. If you believe it and we two agree on this earth, it shall come to pass, as Jesus said. I laid hands on her stomach, cursed endometriosis, commanded to leave her body and said, now you're healed by the power of God and we will have children. God wants us to and we will. In two weeks she was pregnant. Went to Tulsa where BJ was born. Graduated. Came back. Here. 1981. Jason was born. And I was starting to panic. <laughs> Turn this thing off. It's enough is enough. Anyhow. The point is religion puts the if on God. If God wants this. If God wants that. Jesus put the if on man and said, if you can believe, all things are possible to you. 
Look in John 15 and verse 7, just to give you some more scriptures. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you abide in me, if my words abide in you, then you'll ask what you will and it shall be done to you. He taught Paul the same gospel. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, what it says. Notice where Jesus put the if, if you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if God doesn't think. If God doesn't run out of resources. No, when we go to rape, if we faint not. Is it easy to faint when you're in a battle? You know that it is. Okay, so if, if we want to reap, we can't faint. It's up to us not to faint. Look at uh, John uh, 5, 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we, where's the if? If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then what? Then we know we have, whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petition. We desire to him. Where does he put the if? If we, if we, if we, if you, if you, if you can believe, if you, if you, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, if you, it's on our end. So it's important that we recognize this small word is so important. I wouldn't have two of my older children right now. If it were not for that revelation. And finally, in this last section that I want to share with you, which is really the main thing I wanted to get to, is answering this question. The question is in Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? A question that we really need to answer for ourselves. You see, this chapter is a power-packed chapter. And before we unpack it, I want you to turn me to look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. This is from the NIV version, New International Version. If God, this is Jeremiah chapter 1. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and all the people of the land. They will fight against you. Notice but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So what he's saying is what? When everything is surrounding us and coming against us from every direction, he is saying that I will be with you and I will defend you and I will fight for you and I'll see to it that you're not overcome. Isn't that what he said he would do? Well, if God is on our side, if God be for us, then the question is who can be against us? So let's just point out some things that Paul's talking about in this chapter because he points out many opposing forces that are against us in this chapter. He reveals certain things in this chapter that will certainly stand against every child of God that we need to be aware of. And then we're going to answer the question and show us that God is for us. So number one, the first thing that we point out that's against us is what? Sin. I'm sorry. Condemnation. Look at verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So the first thing he points out is condemnation. Condemnation is a debilitating spiritual force in the life of every child of God. If you're condemned by the devil, if you're condemned by the world, or if you're self-condemned, you're condemning yourself because maybe certain things you didn't get done, I didn't read enough, pray enough, and that sort of thing, then you could be 
bound by condemnation. And that can be destructive to your spiritual condition. So that's an opposing force. The next one is the law of sin and death. Look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Sin is also an opposing force in the life of every child of God. Don't you contend with sin every day? Don't you have uh, situations that rise up that you can sin against God and sin against your fellow brother and sister? Sure, we, we face that every single day. But that's an opposing force. Look at the third one. The flesh. Do you have flesh with you? Did you bring your flesh with you today? Look at verse 8. So then they that are in the what? Flesh cannot please God. So we've got the flesh to contend with. Look at the next one. Suffering. In verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So now we've got suffering. We suffer persecution, affliction, tribulation, and trials, and that sort of thing. That's what we all suffer in this life. So we've got sufferings to contend with. We've got decay. Look at verse 21. King James, it, it just says corruption. But here, notice. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So we've got this to contend with. And then next one we've got hmm, impatience. Anybody here impatient ever? Once in a while impatient? Okay, look at what it says. And not only they, but also ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So what is it? We are impatient. We want delivered from this body. We want a glorified state. We want Jesus to come back as soon as He possibly can. Anybody here want Jesus to come back as soon as He possibly can? We're all willing uh, to have that happen. We know that. And so the last one is weaknesses. Our infirmities or our weaknesses. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself or Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So here we have a list. As we unpack this, condemnation, sin, flesh, suffering, impatience, decay, weaknesses that come against us every single day of our lives. Just wake up and they'll be there every single day. But if God is for us, He just throws this out and says, but in the midst of all this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, let's answer the question. Is God for us? Well, let's figure it out. Let's find out. In Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who could be against us? Well, number one, we know He is for us because He gave us His Son. Look at verse 32. Romans 8.32 What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32 says, He that spared not his son... Who shall, verse 32 says, I'll quote it to you. It says, He that spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? So the number one reason why we know he's for us, because he gave us his son. Anybody know how to quote John 3.16? For God so loved the world, what did he do? Is he for us? Is he for the world? Did he have his son leave the glory world behind, robe himself in flesh, come to the earth and walk upon the earth? Did he have him live like no man lived, do, like, do, do what no man did? Did he have him go to a cross where he suffered and died, praise God, and took upon himself all that we should have had upon ourselves? Did he come to do that? So number one, he sent him to let us know, I'm for you. Number two, did he deal with the sin problem? Did he deal with it? Well, I believe that he did. Look at Romans chapter 1 once again, verses, eight through, verses 1 through 3. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Somebody better shout. The sin problem has been dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. There's no longer a sin problem to deal with. There's a sinner problem out there. Bring them to Christ. And the sin problem has been dealt with. And that tells us that God is for us. That's number two. But look at this in uh, verse 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Is God for us? Is Jesus for us? What is he doing right now? He dealt with the sin problem. He's at the throne right now, at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? Making intercession for every single one of us. Can you say amen? amen. Is God for us? Yes. yes, he's for us. Number three, he gave us his spirit. Well, you know what? Before we look at that, look at these last two verses. They're, they're too good to pass up. John three seventeen and 18. For God did not send His Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be safe and sound through Him. He who believes in Him, who clings to, trusts in, relies on Him, is not judged. He who trusts in Him never comes up for judgment. For Him there is no rejection. And then in 1 John chapter 5, the world's condemned, but we're not condemned. Because he's for us. I assure you most solemnly I tell you the person whose ears are open to my words. Who listens to my message and believes and trusts in and clings to and relies on him who, has, who sent me has possesses now eternal life. He does not come into judgment, does not incur sentence of judgment, will not come under condemnation. But he has already passed over out of death into life. Can you say amen? Thanks be unto God, we've passed from death to life. We're no longer condemned with the world. He dealt with the sin problem. And he gave us freedom. What about this? In uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, he gave us his spirit to indwell us. Look at this. I'm telling you here is a lot of unpacking. Because this is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is moving in the earth in a powerful and glorious way right now. But these are the things that He does in the life of a believer. And this proves to us that God is for us. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He gave us His Spirit to indwell us. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Is God for us? Yes, because He gave His Spirit to indwell us. Look at the next verse. In verse 10. To give us life. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And when He recreated our spirits, He made us, He gave us life. Look at the next one, verse 11 and 23. These two verses are important. We've always emphasized verse 11, but I want us to put them both together here. It's important. Here, we see that He gave us His Spirit, not just to give us life, but to quicken us physically and eternally. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. So he gave you his spirit to dwell in you to quicken your body while you're alive in it on the earth. But look at verse 23. 
And not only they, but also ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So while the Holy Ghost is in us alive, what happens? He quickens our mortal body and gives them life and health. But when we leave this body and it goes back to the dust of the earth, what's the Spirit going to do? Quicken it. What His Spirit's going to do is to redeem it and glorify it. So it's then, it's now and then. Now and later. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So is God for us? Look at the next one to help mortify the flesh. Look at verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through how the Spirit that He gives you, mortify the deeds of the flesh, what will happen? You will live. So now we've got the work of the Holy Spirit doing all these things. Look at the next one, guiding us. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Okay, look at the next one. Not just guidance, but to give us assurance. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's bearing witness. He is bearing witness. These are all the things the Holy Ghost is doing in the life of the believer. And then helping us in our inabilities, our weaknesses. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses or infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So, is He for us? He's taking great lengths to let us know He's for us. He has sent us, he sent us His Spirit to indwell us. To give us life, to help us, to quicken us. All these things he's doing in us to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. Look at the next one. He adopted us into his royal family. I would think he, we'd have to be for him and him for us. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, a Father, the Spirit Himself, bearing witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joiners with Jesus Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Is He for us? Absolutely. He adopted us into His royal family, didn't He? He made us His very own heir, and heir of God, and a joint heir with Jesus. I guess He's for us. Look at the next one. He conformed us to the image of Jesus. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also what? Glorified. So notice all the sequence of events here. All these things are in the life of the believer. Right now, you are justified in the presence of God, called by Him. He's for you. He's for us. And on the inside, He's conformed us to the very image of Jesus. On the inside, you look like Jesus. On the inside, He sees you pure and holy and cleansed and righteous before His throne. That's how He sees every one of us. And so, that proves the fact that He is for us. Who can be against us? And finally, He made us more than conquerors through him that loves us. Look at Romans 8, 35. This is the culmination of all these wonderful, marvelous revelations given to Paul about us as believers. And if God's for us, who could be against us? 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, remember all these opposing forces coming against us, if God be for us, who can be against us? No, not tribulation. Or what about distress? No, not distress. What about persecution? No, famine, no, nakedness, no, peril, no, sword, no, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, but they, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved, not in your own strength, but through him that loved us. So none of these things can possibly overtake us and overcome us. He goes on to say that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things that come, height, depth, no other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the culmination of a chapter that I left one verse out to this point on purpose. Because it's so sorely misrepresented, people actually believe it the wrong way. Well, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, that called according to His purpose. I hear them say that, well, they fell down a broke tranquil, but we know all things work together for good. Or they were just diagnosed with cancer, but you know all things work together for good. What? What? Don't take that verse out of context. Everything you just heard today is working for your good because you love God and you're called according to His purpose. The fact that sin's been dealt with, condemnation's been dealt with, death has been dealt with, the fact that weakness has been dealt with, all those things have been dealt with and God is on our side. And all those things work together for good because we love Him and we're called according to His purpose. In conclusion... Let's all rise while I give this conclusion. God is for us. Say it with me. God is for me. And there is nothing in time or eternity. There is nothing in heaven or on earth. There is no power, no force of darkness, no evil, no circumstance, no situation whatsoever that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing whatsoever. So if God be for us, who can be against us? Nothing and no one. So God is for us. Would you agree to that? Yes. What's the final question? Are we for God? Are we for God? Are we for God? See, it's not if God, it's if we. Are you for God this morning? 